Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support. We'd love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now for our podcast teaching. In the 19th century, a 10-story bank building known as the Society of Savings located in Cleveland, Ohio, was built from unclaimed funds of people. Much of the money was deposited by people, actually, that didn't have means. They were poor. They, they, they didn't have a lot, and what they did have, they left within the bank and they forgot about And the directors of the bank, when they got together after waiting years upon years for these depositors to claim what was rightfully theirs, turned the money over to the building of this new beautiful bank building. You might be thinking that it's a sad waste for people not to claim what's theirs in a time of need, right? These people had an abundance Sitting in the bank, but it was left unclaimed. They were sitting there poor, scratching their money together to try to make it by. When all along, their money was just sitting there in the bank, waiting to be claimed. And that's the same thing for the people of God. We have heavenly warehouses of stores unclaimed because we do not ask. And it's not because we're not praying, because I'm sure everyone in this room calls upon God constantly. I'm sure as you're driving on the turnpike, you're asking the Lord to guide you as that person cuts you off, and you're saying blessings upon that person. But what I'm talking about is praying in the certain way that we are asking for God's blessing. We are asking for His intervention here on earth in our life. Which is a different type of prayer life completely. In fact, this is a prayer life that elevates our regular prayer life and makes spiritual giants. People that in Hebrews chapter 10 we look at And we say these are the heroes of faith. I'm talking about becoming a hero of faith in your own spiritual journey. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to James chapter 4. We're going to be in the book of James quite a bit today. But our main idea for this sermon is coming from Hebrews chapter 4. And I want us to look in at verse 2. James chapter 4, verse 2. Here James says, You lust and you do not have. So you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain. 
so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So James is saying that we have an issue that's taking place in the heart of man, which is we have a sin problem that we're not being able to conquer. We, we see and we envy and we strife and we quarrel and we fight with people. Why? Because of the sin of the eyes, we go out there and we look at what people have and we want it. And he's saying, but you, what you don't realize is that you don't have the tools to conquer the sin in your life because you are not asking for them. You're not having in your life because you're not asking in your life. Your prayer life stinks. We read of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 10, but what set them apart above all others? And we, we call them the heroes of faith, don't we? These are our heroes. These are people that we look up to. But let me read to you some of what they did. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses, he killed an Egyptian and went and hid in the desert. Abraham was a liar and constantly would give kings his own wife to spare his own life. David was a murderer and an adulterer. So what sets them apart from you and me because we're ordinary sinners saved by grace too, aren't we? What sets them apart from you and me? These were men of old that searched the Scriptures for gems of truth. For promises in God's Word that they would hold on to and wouldn't let go. Remember last week how we talked about prayer in the Spirit is when we talk to God, when we go to the Lord, and we use the Lord's own words as our prayers of truth. When we call upon the power and truth that's written in His Word in the Scripture by the Holy Spirit's influence, and we apply it to our lives under the Spirit's conviction, all for God's glory, amen? amen. To fully understand this, I want us today to take a look at the life of a man named Elijah. And I'm not talking about the skinny little kid next to Pastor Chip. You guys are just getting that? Come on. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 17 and 18 because here we get a glimpse into what it means to truly pray the Word of God into our lives, the truths of God's promises, as we've been talking about this morning. And by the way, I didn't tell the worship team and I didn't tell Dylan to talk about the promises of God and trying to claim the promises of God for our lives. But this was a man that lived the promises of God, that prayed the promises of God's Word. Take a look with me, James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he 
he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. What does verse 18 say? Then he prayed again. I love that. It's, it's as if to say that this man Elijah knew. He knew something that was special because he prayed again. And the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruits. First off, James really just sets it straight, doesn't he? Right off the bat. Do you see what I'm talking about here? He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. James says, I want to make one thing clear. Elijah was a regular person like you and like me. Elijah was a human, not a superhero. Elijah wasn't Iron Man or Superman or any of those guys that we kind of paint as the, the, the heroes of life. Elijah was a regular guy. But what Elijah had was that God listened to his prayers. Because it said, Elijah prayed and God stopped the rain. And then Elijah prayed again and God poured down and produced fruit on the ground. So Elijah, being just a regular guy, has a God that is listening and involved in his life. And Elijah, being just a normal guy like you and me, he's a praying kind of person, just like you. And what us regular folk need is to be prayer kind of people. What us Christians sitting in this room need to be is men and women that pray. People of prayer. But let's dig a little deeper into this plain old Elijah story. Open up to 1 Kings because we see what James isn't talking about filled in in 1 Kings. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings, please. We're going to jump into 1 Kings into the middle of the story. Verses 31 to 33. Because it seems like there's a big problem that's taking place for Elijah to come and say, I don't want it to rain, God. Hold back the rain. Stop it from raining when we read in James chapter 5. What causes this regular dude to just pray in this way? To say, God, I want you to curse the land. I want you to take away all the rain. I want you to sap up all of the water. I don't want there to be any water. I don't want there to be any crops. I don't want anything to produce until I ask you, to release the rains. How could a regular guy make a drought and pray for rain and the Creator of all listen to him? What made his prayer life so special that he could say to God, as a regular person like you and me, Lord, stop. And Lord, make it happen. Let's take a look. Verse 31 to 33. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians. That word Ethbel, it lets us know that this person, he was closely linked to the demon god Baal in his worship. 
He wanted everybody to know it, and so he took on the name Eth Baal. He is a worshiper of Baal, blessed by Baal. And here, here's the king of Israel closely aligning himself with King Ethbaal by marrying his daughter. Making an ungodly, unholy alliance. Being unequally yoked. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So here's what the problem is. The king of Israel and the people go from bad to worse to ugly. They make altars and holy monuments, Asherahs to Baal. They begin worshiping, and and he's encouraging demonic worship in the land of Israel, the land of promise, the land of fruitfulness, the land that God said, hey, listen, I've heard your cries, and I'm going to take you out of Egypt, and I will put you in a land flowing of milk and honey. And you will be my people, and I will be your God. Now, I don't know if you understand Baal worship, But one of the things about Baal is he didn't just want cattle. He didn't just want goats. He didn't just want sheep. He wanted your firstborn child to be on the altar of Baal. And so the people, they would come to the Asherahs, they would come to the statue of Baal, and there in the temple of Baal, Baal would have his arms as the altar. And the chest of Baal would be opened with a lit furnace of burning coals. And you would place your child wrapped up, bound tightly onto the altar of Baal. And your child would roll into the chest of Baal alive and be burnt up. And so that's why it says this king provoked God. And what made the people stumble in such a way that God detested him. And he was worse than all other kings before him. That's a big problem, isn't it? And when you're faced with a big problem by many people and leaders that are on the opposite side of you, you need a strong solution, don't you? You don't need just to go up and say, hey guys, our vote counts. Let's go stand outside of you know, the temples of Baal and pick it. No, you need to call down divine intervention. You need to ask the God of the Most High to do and act on your behalf. And as we keep on reading in 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite, here walks Elijah, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Wait, this is a regular guy, isn't it? Isn't that what James said? This is a regular guy, Elijah, with a nature like ours. 
So what gives him the right, what gives him the mindset to go up to the king and say, it will not rain except if I speak to God? The word of the Lord came to him saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Shereth, which is in the east of Jordan. It shall be that you shall drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide food for you there. Now, I want to take a moment just to say this. Ravens are an unclean bird, according to Jewish culture. According to the books of the law, ravens are unclean. But God's saying, I will provide for you in such a way that even what is unclean will become clean. Even what can be dried up in another place will provide you a brook of abundance. That's how great our God is. It continues on. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is in the east of Jordan. And the ravens brought bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain. In the land. So enter our ordinary man like you and me, Elijah. Elijah says, You're sinning before God. You have rejected him, and he is about to reject you from the living water that you need to survive. Because God is your living water, and because you have rejected him, he will take away what you think is what gives you life. He's going to cut you off. Now hold on, how did Elijah get this idea about drying up the land? How could old ordinary Elijah think that he could call upon a miracle to take place, to call upon the curse of the Lord to dry up the grounds, and then it would actually happen, or to pray that it would rain again and it would actually happen? Where did Elijah come up with this? Well, though Elijah is a normal guy like you and me, he knows the promises of God. He knows God's Word and holds the truth of God's Word. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 7, 16 and 17. Give a little historical background for you guys. Kings, 1 Kings is written in 550 B.C. Almost a thousand years after Deuteronomy is written. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16 17. Beware that your hearts are not deceived, and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. What were the people of Israel doing when Elijah came in and said, you guys are doing wrong? They're worshiping Baal. In the land of Israel. Verse 17, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord God has given you. Where did Elijah get the idea that if he prayed, God would dry up the land? He got it from the Word of God. This wasn't Elijah coming up and thinking in the power of himself or the power of his spirit or anything of that nature that he could command God to do anything that was against God's will. 
This was something that was written within Scripture thousands of years before Elijah was even born. This was something that Elijah had searched, had realized, had held on to. And now he's praying it to God. God, you said that if your people became wicked, if your people turned against you, that you would dry up the land. And Lord, your people are wicked. Your king is wicked. Your king has convinced the people that they need to worship Baal. And Lord, I don't want you to do this, but for the good of your own people, you need to dry up this land. And God dried up the land. Elijah knew God's word. Elijah knew God's promises and he stood on them. He knew what God had said and that God does not lie. And so knowing God's Scripture, he doesn't have to make something up. He doesn't have to go before the king and and start calling down all these different things out there. No, he just preaches the truth of God's Word and then asks the Lord to make it happen. He asks God to enact the promises of heaven here on earth. He asks God in a difficult situation to do what God had already said He would do. Brothers and sisters, Lord, you said it here in your word. You said it in the ancient scrolls I have studied since I was a child. Make it happen. So this guy like you and me, he's a prayer and a reader. He's a prayer warrior and he studies the scripture. He reads God's word. He talks to God and he reads his Bible. He walks the walk and he talks the talk. And he prays and he asks God for the promises that are written in his word. Elijah is a man that prays the word of God. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that what God has called us to do? Isn't that what Jesus told us to do? Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Oh, and and what is that part? Let this happen on earth as it is in heaven. So Elijah is a man that knew God's word, knew what God had commanded within his scripture, and called upon the God of heaven to enact on earth the truths that had already been promised and set up according to God's will. Sometimes people will ask me to pray for them. And one of the side comments that I got, and I'm not beating you up if this was you. Maybe I am, I don't know. But they like to say to me after, it's because you got an in with the big guy. Because you're a pastor. No, I'm an ordinary man like Elijah. I just study the will of God to see it for this church and your lives. I look for His revealed will and ask for it. Just like any ordinary person can. And when you do that in your prayer life, your prayer life goes from anything but ordinary. 
You can take your prayer life from being, Lord, bless this food. Lord, now I lay me down to sleep. To God, you have said in your word that you will never leave me nor forsake me. And right now, I feel all alone. Lord, comfort me with a grace and a peace that surpasses all comprehension. You see, it's calling out the truths of God's Word within your prayer life. Lord, You have told me that if I, being a father, would be a righteous man, how blessed will my children be after me? You see, the truths of God's Word can come alive in your prayer life, and the promises of God are yours. Just as God is written, so He says in your life, But you have to be mining the gems of the truths of God's Word for them to come out in your prayer life. When James says we are not receiving because we're not asking, he's not saying we're not praying in life. He's saying you're not asking for what God has already told you. This is why Romans 8.27 says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us because we don't know how to pray as we should. In other words, we're not asking right. We have an abundance of truth right here in God's Word, but we're not asking for it. So we're not receiving. God has written what it is so you would search it out like Elijah and pray it to be so in your life. I heard a story that spoke so similar to this very truth that we see and that we're hearing preached here to right now. It says an aged Indian that was half naked and famished, was starving. He wandered on to a western settlement. He began begging for food to keep himself from dying. And while he was eagerly devouring some bread that had been given to him by the hand of charity, the individual noticed a bright, colorful ribbon tied around his neck holding a nasty, beaten-up pouch. The individual was so curious, he asked, what's up with the pouch? The Indian straightened his back and got proud And he opened it, displaying a faded, greasy, beat-up, old piece of paper, and he handed it to the individual. It was a discharge letter for serving in the Federal Army and entitled him to a lifetime pension and was signed by George Washington. He was sitting on everything he needed but starving for lack of application. God's promises are not for decoration to be worn around our neck. God's Word isn't to sit on our night table so when pastor visits, it looks nice, right? God's Word isn't for a decoration to fill up our bookshelf. God's Word isn't just to be framed in our house. But for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. 
No, God's truths are for us to apply and live by and to call into reality within our life. His Word isn't for sitting down. It's for standing up. Psalm 31, 19-21, it says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have performed for those who take refuge in you, before the sons of mankind. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of mankind. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for He has shown His marvelous faithfulness in a besieged city. Brothers and sisters, it's letting us know here that God is holding up for you right now the storehouses of blessings that He has already spoken in His Word. There are storehouses in heavenlies holding the stuff that we need to ask for. And the storehouses of the heavens are full. But you don't receive because you're not asking. His Word reveals His will and His plan for you And all you have to do is call for it. He wants richness in your life. He wants spiritual strength in your life. Now you may be saying, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. That's an Israel thing. God doesn't do that. There's no storehouses for me. That's Elijah's era. That's how Elijah knew. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 9 and 10. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared... That's a past tense. For those who love Him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. There is an abundance prepared for you ahead of time that God Himself has prepared for you. But you're sitting like the old Indian starving to death with a meal plan wrapped around your neck for decoration. We're striving to get by but we hold His Word in our Bibles and our mouths stay shut. You haven't received because you're not asking. When we get to heaven, I wonder how many, how many miracles, how many things never read, never asked for will be in store for us. How many salvations of people that we loved and never asked the Lord Lord, give me the courage and strength to share. Give me the opportunity. How many dividing loaves the Lord could have done in our lives? How many sadnesses turned to joy? How much rejoicing we missed out on because we didn't ask. Because we weren't searching for it. Because we never asked. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 down to 11, 
He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who seeks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, he gives him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he gives him a snake? If you then, being evil, now he's saying that in your nature, we're evil in our nature, we go after our own selfishness. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who, say it with me, ask Him? Jesus tells us to speak often to God. To speak your heart. To speak to Dad. Jesus tells us be persistent. Keep praying. Keep asking. And your Father in heaven, He hears you. He cares. And He'll answer. Each of these three actions here, it's asking Seeking and knocking. It occurs in the present tense in the original language. It literally is letting us know that we need to keep on doing what we're doing. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. And keep on knocking. These are three actions for continual growth in your life. Continually ask, continually seek, continually knock, and you'll continually grow in your relationship with Christ. You ask, you seek it in His Word. And you pray for it to happen. That's exactly what Christ tells us to do. Brothers and sisters, seeking comes from the truth that we find in His Word. Our prayer life needs to come from our reading. Our prayer life needs to come from our seeking Him and the truths that come out of His Word. Our prayer life needs to develop out of the truths out of His Word that we are applying to our lives and we're calling for in our life. You see, nowhere in Scripture does it say that if we call upon the Lord to bless us with millions of dollars, it will happen. That's not what it's talking about. So these Name it, claim it, people that tell you, hey, you want a boat, you call it. You want this, you call it. No, the truth is we are to call upon God's Word in our life. And if we call upon God's Word, He says it will happen. You ask and you seek it in His Word, and you pray, and Jesus says, I will do. Seeking comes from the truth that we find in His Word. What can make you an extraordinary person, a hero of faith? Praying the truth of God's Word. That's what set Elijah apart. Elijah read God's truths, and he asked for it. Elijah knew God's Word and he called for it. 
And when Elijah called for the truths of God's Word, the storehouses of heaven opened up for Elijah. And heaven poured out. Brothers and sisters, we don't receive. We're not receiving spiritual victories in our life. We're not receiving in our life because we have to be seeking and asking. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.